Section 44 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the influence of free trade on the earnings of the scavengers. As regards the influence of free trade upon the scavenging business, I could gain little or no information from the body of street sweepers, because they have never noticed its operation, and the men, with the exception of such as have sunk into street sweeping from better informed conditions of life, know nothing about it. Among all, however, I have heard statements of the blessing of cheap bread, always cheap bread. There's nothing like bread, says the men. It's not all poor people can get meat, but they must get bread. Cheap food all labouring men pronounce a blessing, as it unquestionably is, but somehow, as a scavenger's carman said to me, the thing ain't working as it should. In the course of the present and former inquiries among unskilled labourers, street sellers and costermongers, I have found the great majority of the more intelligent declare that free trade had not worked well for them, because there were more labourers and more street sellers than were required for each man to live by his toil and traffic, and because the numbers increased yearly, and the demand for their commodities did not increase in proportion. Among the ignorant, I heard the continual answers of, I can't say, sir, what it's owing to, that I'm so bad off, or, well, I can't tell anything about that. It is difficult to state, however, without positive inquiry, whether this extra number of hands be due to diminished employment in the agricultural districts since the repeal of the Corn Laws, or whether it be due to the insufficiency of occupation generally for the increasing population. One thing at least is evident, that the increase of the trades alluded to cannot be said to arise directly from diminished agricultural employment, for but few farm labourers have entered these businesses since the change from protection to free trade. If therefore free trade principles have operated injuriously, in reducing the work of the unskilled labourers, street sellers, and the poorer classes generally, it can have done so only indirectly, that is to say, by throwing a mass of displaced country labour into the towns, and so displacing other labourers from their ordinary occupations, as well as by decreasing the wages of working men generally. Hence it becomes almost impossible, I repeat, to tell whether the increasing difficulty that the poor experience in living by their labour is a consequence or merely a concomitant of the repeal of the Corn Laws. If it be a consequence, of course the poor are no better for the alteration. If, however, it be a coincidence rather than a necessary result of the measure, the circumstances of the poor are of course as much improved as they would have been impoverished, provided that measure had never become law. I candidly confess I am as yet without the means of coming to any conclusion on this part of the subject. Nor can it be said that in the scavenger's trade wages have in any way declined since the repeal of the Corn Laws, so that were it not for the difficulty of obtaining employment among the casual hands, this class must be allowed to have been considerable gainers by the reduction in the price of food, and even as it is, the constant hands must be acknowledged to be so. I will now endeavour to reduce to a tabular form such information as I could obtain as to the expenditure of the labourer in scavenging before and after the establishment of free trade. 
I inquired, the better to be assured of the accuracy of the representations and accounts I received from labourers, the price of meat then and now. A butcher, who for many years has conducted a business in a populous part of Westminster, and in a populous suburb, supplying both private families with the best joints, and the poor with their little bits, their block ornaments, meat in small pieces exposed on the chopping block, their purchases of liver and of beasts' heads. In 1845, the year I take as sufficiently prior to the free trade era, my informant from his recollection of the state of his business, and from consulting his books, which of course were a correct guide, found that for a portion of the year in question, mutton was as much as sevenpence halfpenny per pound, Smithfield prices. Now the same quality of meat is but fivepence. This, however, was but a temporary matter, and from causes which sometimes are not very ostensible or explicable. Taking the butcher's trade that year as a whole, it was found sufficiently conclusive that meat was generally a penny per pound higher then than at present. My informant, however, was perfectly satisfied that, although situated in the same way and with the same class of customers, he did not sell so much meat to the poor and labouring classes as he did five or six years ago. He believed not by one-eighth, although perhaps pricers of his meat among the poor were more numerous. For this my informant accounted by expressing his conviction that the labouring men spent their money in drink more than ever and were a longer time in recovering from the effects of tippling. This supposition, from what I have observed in the course of the present inquiry, is negatived by facts. Another butcher, also supplying the poor, said they bought less of him, but he could not say exactly to what extent, perhaps an eighth, and he attributed it to less work, there being no railways about London, fewer buildings, and less general employment. About the wages of the labourers, he could not speak as influencing the matter. From this tradesman also, I received an account that meat generally was a penny per pound higher at the time specified. Pickled Australian beef was four or five years ago very low, threepence per pound, salted and prepared, and swelling in hot water. But the poor couldn't eat the stringy stuff, for it was like pickled ropes. It's better now, he added. But it don't sell, and there's no nourishment in such beef. But these tradesmen agreed in the information that poor labourers bought less meat, while one pronounced free trade a blessing, the other declared it a curse. I suggested to each that cheaper fish might have something to do with a smaller consumption of butcher's meat, but both said that cheap fish was the great thing for the Irish and the poor needlewomen and the like who were never at any time meat-eaters. From respectable bakers, I ascertained that bread might be considered a penny a quartern loaf dearer in 1845 than at present. Perhaps the following table may throw a fuller light on the matter. I give it from what I learned from several men, who were without accounts to refer to, but speaking positively from memory. I give the statement per week, as for a single man, without charge for the support of a wife and family, and without any help from other resources. Rent, before free trade, one shilling sixpence. After free trade, one shilling sixpence. Bread, five loaves. Before free trade, two shillings eleven pence. 
after free trade, two shillings sixpence, saving since free trade, five pence. Butter, half a pound, before free trade, five pence, after free trade, five pence. Tea, two ounces, before free trade, eight pence, after free trade, eight pence. Sugar, half a pound, before free trade, threepence, after free trade, twopence. Saving since free trade, a penny. Meat, three pounds, before free trade, one shilling sixpence, after free trade, one shilling threepence. Saving since free trade, threepence. Bacon, a pound, before free trade, fivepence, after free trade, fivepence. Fish, a dinner a day, six days, before free trade, threepence, or one shilling sixpence weekly. After free trade, twopence, or one shilling weekly. Saving since free trade, sixpence. Potatoes or vegetables, a halfpenny a day, before free trade, threepence halfpenny, after free trade, threepence halfpenny. Beer, pot, before free trade, threepence halfpenny, after free trade, threepence halfpenny. Total saving per week since free trade, one shilling threepence. In butter, bacon, potatoes, and so on, and beer, I could hear of no changes except that bacon might be a trifle cheaper. But instead of a good quality selling better, although cheaper, there was a demand for an inferior sort. In the foregoing table, the weekly consumption of several necessaries is given, but it is not to be understood that one man consumes them all in a week. They are what may generally be consumed when such things are in demand by the poor, one week after another, or one day after another, forming an aggregate of weeks. Thus, free trade and cheap provisions are an unquestionable benefit if unaffected by drawbacks to the labouring poor. The above statement refers only to a fully employed hand. The following table gives the change since free trade in the earnings of casual hands and relates to the past and the present expenditure of a scavenger. The man who was formerly a house painter said he could bring me fifty men similarly circumstanced as himself. Reader's note: The following table gives costs per week in 1845 and in 1851. End reader's note. Rent in 1845, one shilling fourpence. In 1851, one shilling eightpence. Five loaves in 1845, two shillings eleven pence. Four loaves in 1851, two shillings. Butter in 1845, five pence. In 1851, five pence. Tea in 1845, sixpence. In 1851, fivepence. Meat three pounds. In 1845, one shilling sixpence. In 1851, one shilling. Potatoes in 1845, threepence. In 1851, twopence. Beer a pot. In 1845, fourpence. Beer a pint. In 1851, twopence. Total in 1845 per week. 7 shillings threepence. In 1851 per week, 5 shillings tenpence. Here then we find a positive saving in the expenditure of 1 shilling fivepence per week in this man's wages since the cheapening of food. His earnings, however, tell a different story. Earnings of 6 days, in 1845, 15 shillings. Earnings of 3 days, in 1851, 7 shillings sixpence. Weekly income in 1845, 15 shillings. In 1851, 
seven shillings sixpence. Expenditure, in 1845, seven shillings threepence. In 1851, five shillings tenpence. Difference, in 1845, seven shillings ninepence. In 1851, one shilling eightpence. Thus we perceive that the beneficial effects of cheapness are defeated by the dearth of employment among labourers. It is impossible to come to precise statistics in this matter, but all concurrent evidence as regards the unskilled work of which I now treat shows that labour is attainable at almost any rate. Another drawback to the benefits of cheap food I heard of first in my inquiries for the letters on labour and the poor in the morning chronicle among the boot and shoemakers, their rents had been raised in consequence of their landlord's property having been subjected to the income tax. Numbers of large houses are now let out in single rooms in the streets of Tottenham Court Road and near Golden Square, as well as in many other quarters, to men who, working for West End tradesmen, must live, for economy of time, near the shops from which they derive their work. Near and in Cunningham Street and other streets, two men, father and son, rent upwards of thirty houses, the whole of which they let out in one or two rooms, it is believed at a very great profit. In fact, they live by it. The rent of these houses, among many others, was raised when income tax was imposed, the subletters declaring, with what truth no one knew, that the rents were raised to them. It is common enough for capitalists to fling such imposts on the shoulders of the poor, and I heard scavengers complain that every time they had to change their rooms, they had either to pay more rent by tuppence or threepence a week, or put up with a worse place. One man who lived at the time of the passing of the income tax bill, in Shoe Lane, found his rent raised suddenly threepence a week, a non-resident landlord or agent calling for it weekly. He was told that the advance was to meet the income tax. I know nothing about what income tax means, he said, but it's some blank roguery as is put on the poor. I heard complaints to the same purport from several working scavengers, and the letters of rooms are the most exacting in places crowded with the poor, and where the poor think or feel they must reside, to be handy for work. What connection there may be between the questions of free trade and the necessity of the income tax, it is not my business now to dilate upon, but it is evident that the circumstances of the country are not sufficiently prosperous to enable Parliament to repeal this temporary impost. From a better informed class than the scavengers, I might have derived data on which to form a calculation from account books and so on, but I could hear of none being kept. I remember that a lady's shoemaker told me that the weekly rents of the ten rooms in the house in which he lived were four shillings threepence higher than before the income tax, which came to the same thing as an extra penny on over fifty loaves a week. It is certain that the great taxpayers of London are the labouring classes. I have endeavoured to ascertain the facts in connection with this complex subject in as calm and just a manner as possible leaning neither to the protectionist nor the free-trade side of the question, and I must again in honesty acknowledge that to the constant hands among the scavengers and dustmen of the metropolis, the repeal of the corn laws appears to have been an unquestionable benefit. 
I shall conclude this exposition of the condition and earnings of the working scavengers employed by the more honourable masters with an account of the average income and expenditure of the better paid hands, regular and casual, as well as single and married, and first of the unmarried regular hand. The following is an estimate of the income and expenditure of an unmarried operative scavenger, regularly employed, working for a large contractor. Weekly income, constant wages, nominal weekly wages, 16 shillings, perquisites, 2 shillings, actual weekly wages, 18 shillings. Weekly expenditure, rent, 2 shillings, washing and mending, 10 pence, clothes and repairing ditto, 10 pence. Butcher's meat, 3 shillings, 6 pence. Bacon, 8 pence. Vegetables, 4 pence. Cheese, 4 pence. Beer, 3 shillings. Spirits, 1 shilling. Tobacco, 10 pence halfpenny. Butter, 7 pence halfpenny. Sugar, 4 pence. Tea, 3 pence. Coffee, 3 pence. Fish, 4 pence. Soap, 2 pence. Shaving, a penny. Fruit, 4 pence. Keep of 2 dogs, 6 pence. Amusements as skittles and so on, one shilling ninepence. Total, eighteen shillings. The subjoined represents the income of an unmarried operative scavenger, casually employed by a small master scavenger, six months during the year at fifteen shillings a week, and twenty weeks at sand and rubbish carting at twelve shillings a week. Casual wages. Nominal weekly wages at scavenging, 16 shillings for 26 weeks during the year, £20, 16 shillings. Perquisites, 2 shillings for 26 weeks during the year, £2, 12 shillings. Actual weekly wages for 26 weeks during the year, 16 shillings. Nominal and actual weekly wages at rubbish carting, 12 shillings for 20 weeks more during the year, £12. Average casual or constant weekly wages throughout the year, 15 shillings, 4 pence halfpenny. The expenditure of this man when in work was nearly the same as that of the regular hand, the main exceptions being that his rent was a shilling instead of two shillings, and no dogs were kept. When in work, he saved nothing, and when out of work, lived as he could. The married scavengers are differently circumstanced from the unmarried, their earnings are generally increased by those of their family. The labour of the wives and children of the scavengers is not unfrequently in the capacity of sifters in the dust yards, where the wives of the men employed by the contractors have the preference, and in other but somewhat rude capacities. One of their wives I heard of as a dresser of sheep's trotters, two as being among the most skilful dressers of tripe for a large shop, one as a cat's meat seller, her father's calling, but I still speak of the regular scavengers. I could not meet with one woman working a slop needle. One indeed I saw who was described to me as a feather dresser to an out and out nigger. Reader's note, spelt N E G U R. End reader's note. But the woman assured me she was neither badly paid nor badly off. Perhaps by such labour as an average on the part of the wives, ninepence a day is cleared and one shilling on tripe and such like. Among the casuals' wives, there are frequent instances of the working for slop shirt-makers and so on, upon the coarser sorts of work, and at starvation wages, but on such matters I have often dwelt.
I heard from some of these men that it was looked upon as a great thing if the wife's labour could clear the week's rent of one shilling sixpence to two shillings. The following may be taken as an estimate of the income and outlay of a better paid and fully employed operative scavenger with his wife and two children. Weekly income of the family. Nominal weekly wages of man, 16 shillings. Perquisites, 2 shillings. Actual weekly wages of man, 18 shillings. Nominal weekly wages of wife, 6 shillings. Perquisites in coal and wood, 1 shilling fourpence. Actual weekly wages of wife, 7 shillings fourpence. Nominal weekly wages of boy, 3 shillings. Total, 1 pound 8 shillings fourpence. Weekly expenditure of the family. Rent, 3 shillings. Candle, threepence halfpenny. Bread, 2 shillings and a penny. Butter, 10 pence. Sugar, 8 pence. Tea, 10 pence. Coffee, 4 pence. Butcher's meat, 3 shillings 6 pence. Bacon, 1 shilling tuppence. Potatoes, 10 pence. Raw fish, 4 pence. Herrings, 4 pence. Beer at home, 2 shillings. Beer at work, 1 shilling 6 pence. Spirits, one shilling. Cheese, sixpence. Flour, threepence. Suet, threepence. Fruit, threepence. Rice, a halfpenny. Soap, sixpence. Starch, a halfpenny. Soda and blue, a penny. Dubbing, a halfpenny. Clothes for the whole family and repairing, ditto, two shillings. Boots and shoes for ditto, ditto, one shilling, sixpence. Milk, sevenpence. Salt, pepper and mustard, a penny. Tobacco, ninepence. Wear and tear of bedding, crocks and so on, threepence. Schooling for a girl, threepence. Baking Sunday's dinner, tuppence. Mangling, threepence. Amusements and sundries, one shilling. Total, one pound, seven shillings and sixpence. The subjoined, on the other hand, gives the income and outlay of a casually employed operative scavenger, better paid, with his wife and two boys in constant work. Weekly income of the family. Nominal wages of man at scavenging for six months at 16 shillings weekly. Ditto at rubbish carting three months, 12 shillings weekly. Average casual wages throughout the year, 15 shillings. Nominal weekly wages of wife, six shillings constant. Perquisites in wood and coal, one shilling fourpence. Actual weekly wages of wife, seven shillings fourpence. Nominal weekly wages of two boys, seven shillings the two. Perquisites for running on messages, one shilling the two, constant. Actual weekly wages of the two boys, eight shillings. Total, one pound, ten shillings, fourpence. Weekly expenditure of the family. Rent, three shillings, sixpence. Candle, sixpence. Soap, fourpence. Soda, starch and blue, tuppence halfpenny. Bread, two shillings, sixpence. Butter, ninepence. Dripping, five pence. Sugar, eight pence. Tea, eight pence. Coffee, six pence. Butcher's meat, three shillings, six pence. Bacon, a shilling. Potatoes, a shilling. Cheese, six pence. Raw fish, four pence. Herrings, threepence. Fried fish, threepence. Flour, threepence. Suet, tuppence. Fruit, six pence. Rice, a penny halfpenny. Beer at home, two shillings. Beer at work, one shilling ninepence. Spirits, one shilling. Tobacco, ninepence. Pepper, salt and mustard, a penny. Milk, sevenpence. Clothes for man, wife and family, two shillings. 
Repairing ditto for ditto, sixpence. Boots and shoes for ditto, one shilling sixpence. Repairing ditto for ditto, eightpence. Wear and tear of bedding, crocks and so on, threepence. Baking Sunday's dinner, tuppence. Mangling, tuppence. Amusement sundries and so on, one shilling. Total, one pound, ten shillings, fourpence. End of section 44